0: Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 44 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I have discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. Whether this is your first time joining up with our Wildlands expedition, your 44th time, or you're somewhere in between, I am very happy you're here with us. Dee, Dee our canine expedition leader, will be around to say hello and get you all settled in. Usually, he does this by giving your legs the obligatory sniffing, but today, Dee Dee's nose has another job. Dee, Dee along with his brother from another dog mother, Dexter, have joined up with the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration here in the United States, and are putting their noses to work. Violent crimes and drugs are becoming quite rampant in the gaming wildlands all of a sudden, so our boys decided to do something about it. Instead of just spreading the message of just say no to drugs by word of bark, they're getting into the thick of it all and taking the fight to the streets. On today's episode, we're going to be checking out a game that originally launched in arcades way back in 1988 right near the tail end of the Just Say No anti-drug campaign here in the US. It featured two-player co-op action where you and a friend could take the fight against drugs right to the gangbangers, drug dealers, and killers out there. You could arrest those who break the law or you could put them down with extreme prejudice. Whatever your approach, the simple fact remains that no one had the guts until now. I, of course, am talking about a little game called NARC. NARC is a game I remember playing a bit as a kid and while I never had lasting memories of specific play sessions or anything, the subject matter and the gameplay always stuck with me. When this game was released back in the day, it was pretty quick to be criticized by parents for its ultraviolence and adult imagery. When I was little, I think a lot of the deeper subject matter was lost on me, though it was pretty clear that this was a quote-unquote grown-up game. More than anything though, I enjoyed trying to get as high a score as possible, especially if I could play this game with a friend. While this game was originally released in arcades like I mentioned, NARC has found its way onto many systems since systems like the Amiga, Commodore 64, Atari ST, and many others. But of all the places it landed, I played NARC on the original Nintendo Entertainment System, and while I'll be talking about NARC as a whole in today's episode, I'm mainly going to highlight my thoughts and experiences with the NES version. And I have to say, it is not a bad port of the arcade game. We'll get into the specifics in the heart of the episode, but it always baffled me that Nintendo even allowed this game on its platform. While they censored and changed up some of the imagery, this game remains just as violent as the arcade version. It was the first game I ever remember playing that I could launch a rocket at my human foe and watch it explode into tiny charred chunks. But at the end of the day, NARC was always a fun game to play, and even though it was a game that was hard as nails, I couldn't help but keep going back for more. I usually don't see many people highlighting NARC very much anymore, so I wanted to go back to it and tell you all about it. The game isn't very big and it's not all that complicated, but I think it's still one that could make a fun episode of the show. Besides, when wandering the gaming wildlands, you never know what's going to pop up or where this road is going to take us. Now, if you're new to the show, I like to kick things off by chatting it up with you all for a little bit and giving you all a peek behind the scenes here in the retro wildlands before getting into the episode itself. Depending on what's on my mind, I like to talk about what's going on with the podcast itself, what games I'm playing, what's going on in my life, any projects I'm working on, or whatever else I feel like babbling about. I'll also read and respond to any comments I received when I put a call out for them on our social media if we received any. Now, if none of this sounds interesting to you and you're just here for my thoughts on NARC, you can skip ahead about 5-7 to seven minutes and you should get to the meat of the episode. I should have also loaded timestamps into the show notes as well, so you can use those to get exactly where you need to go. But don't rush off just yet, I always enjoy catching up with you all and we'll be talking about some other video games and fun stuff as well. So without further ado, grab yourself a seat and let's dive into our opening segment that I like to call Campfire Ketchup. So we are at the tail end of September here in Ohio and it's finally starting to cool down a little bit weather-wise. The leaves around here are starting to slowly change color and we are getting close to my favorite time of the entire year, spooky season. Halloween is my favorite time of year and it is also a family favorite as well. There's just something about it that I can never quite describe. The weather is cooler, spooky shows and movies are on, and you cannot forget the spooky video games. While we acknowledge most holidays, Halloween is the one my family and I go all in for. Every year we decorate the outside of the house in something over the top and spectacular. One year we completely cover the house in huge spiders and spider webs. Another year it was all skeletons where we had tons of them in the yard and climbing all over the house. This year, my wife really wants to replicate an awesome scene involving creepy baby dolls. Throughout the year, we've been checking out flea markets and garage sales for any sort of decently sized baby doll that we could get on the cheap. We took inventory this past weekend, and while we could probably use a few more, we have quite the army of babies. Now it's just a matter of dressing them up nice and spooky-like. So, we'll see how that goes, but man, I love this time of year. And just to apologize in advance, I will be switching gears a bit and focusing more on some spooky video games coming up for the show, if I have my way. Last year I was fortunate enough to get my hands on a copy of Haunting Ground for the PlayStation 2, which I did an episode of the show on if you want to go back and search the archives. This year I had a few ideas of that one scary game I was going to do and I settled on it when I finally found it, in decent condition and decently priced, on my birthday of all days this year. I am talking about the original Silent Hill 2, also on the PlayStation 2. I grew up playing Silent Hill games and I regret getting rid of them as I got older. I played Silent Hill with my stepdad and eventually got a hold of Silent Hill 2. I can't remember if I ever played that one with my stepdad, but I'll never forget that first time experience. Silent Hill 3 was another that I owned, and I would play it so much I think I unlocked all the extra outfits and secret weapons. I never did play Silent Hill 4 though, but I've always wanted to, even despite what people may say about it. But I have played all of the Western developed Silent Hill games and even though they lost a lot of that magic as time went on, I still enjoy them for what they were. So yeah, now that I think about it out loud, Silent Hill 4 is the only Silent Hill game that I missed out on. But regardless, I'll be covering all of them on the podcast at some point. And for this Halloween season, unless something major happens, I will be replaying Silent Hill 2 and covering it on the show. I cannot wait. (laughs) What are your thoughts on Halloween and spooky video games? Do you find yourself getting caught up in all the scary stuff, or is it a time of year that you could not care less about? I am genuinely curious, so if you get a chance, head on over to our social media pages and let me know. Speaking of, just a real quick social media plug while you're here, you can find the Retro Wildlands on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, slash X, YouTube, and Threads if you search at Retrowildlands on any of those platforms. I also set up a link tree which lists out all of our social media platforms in one spot. Check that out at linktr.ee forward slash retrowildlands. I try to post stuff whenever I can, so if you're looking to add just a little bit of Retro Spice to your timelines and feeds, definitely consider giving us a follow. Plus, this will give you the ability to submit comments to be read on the show when I put a call out for them before I record each show, so if that's something that sounds fun to you, check us out, I'd love to have you. Beyond the cooler weather and the scary stuff, I've been busy collaborating with some other gaming podcasts. Most recently, I was fortunate enough to be invited on a podcast called Pixel Project Radio, where I talked with Rick Firestone about a PlayStation game that is near and dear to my heart, Parasite Eve. In this show specifically, Rick and I went pretty granular when it comes to some game development, gameplay mechanics, and especially the story. We went through the game's narrative and stopped every once in a while to talk about a specific story beat or gameplay element in that moment. It was a fantastic time, so if you want to check that out, check out Pixel Project Radio. I'll try to remember to put a link to them in the show notes, but they also have a link tree, so check out linktr.ee forward slash pixelprojectradio. The episode that we did on Parasite Eve was actually split into two parts, and they are live as I say these words, so definitely check it out. A huge thank you to Rick for having me on the show. I continue to be humbled by those that feel that having me involved in their projects will inject any sort of value, so if you have a moment, Wildlanders, I would love for you to give Pixel Project Radio the same support that you give me. I have also recorded another podcast episode with another podcast, and that show should be dropping by the end of this month, uh, September 2023, so I will shout that one out when the time comes. And speaking of, another gaming podcast reached out to me over the weekend and asked if I'd be interested in coming on their show sometime in October, so there is yet another opportunity for you to hear me and my soothing Italian voice coming up down the line. So needless to say, there is a lot of cool stuff coming, and I hope you can all check it out. Now, depending on when I end up posting this show that you're listening to right now, I'll either be heading to the Cleveland Gaming Classic in Cleveland, Ohio, or I'll have just gone. It's one of the two gaming conventions I'm going to this year, and I am extremely excited. I was going to go to the show with my stepson, but he had an opportunity to go to Homecoming at one of the schools that he used to attend, so he opted to do that instead of looking at old video games with me so I will actually be taking my wife up there to the Cleveland Gaming Classic instead. I'm not going up there as a special guest or anything, so I don't have a booth, but I'll be roaming the floor and checking out the convention itself, so if you happen to be going and you see me and my wife wandering around aimlessly, head on over and say hey. Both of us will be wearing custom-made Retro Wildlands hoodies that a family friend made us, so we'll be pretty easy to spot. If I happen to post this episode after the Cleveland Gaming Classic is over and I have already gone, if I happen to have met you, it was a pleasure to meet you, and if nobody came up and said hi, I know I will still have a fantastic time. There's a couple people up there that I'm dying to meet already, so hopefully I can find them and say hello. So whether you're hearing my voice before or after the convention, I will definitely be sure to give you all a summary on how it all went, and I will definitely be sharing anything that I picked up at the show. I have my eye out for a few things specifically, so we'll see if I get lucky and can add to my growing physical collection of games. Or I may just buy a bunch of random stuff if it all makes sense. Either way, these conventions are really fun, and more than anything, I'm excited to meet and talk to some new people and find some people that I've been talking with for a little while now, so it's gonna be a good time. Other than that, I did what I said I was going to do last week and I trimmed down the number of games that I've been playing so I can focus on completing a couple. I've been working through Final Fantasy VI and I think I'm getting towards the end of the narrative? I'm not entirely sure. But I mentioned last episode that I'm past the point of the big event and I'm searching for allies. I have found everybody that I could possibly find with the exception of a certain treasure hunter, so if that helps anyone who's played Final Fantasy VI before know where I'm at, there's where I'm at. I will say I really wish I would've played this game when I was younger and had nothing but time to commit to it. I feel like I'm rushing myself through this experience so I hope I don't miss too much. Still, it has been a wild ride and I am very excited to talk to you all about it at some point. Other than Final Fantasy VI, I just started replaying Super Mario RPG on my Super Nintendo Classic over the weekend, and hot damn, I am having a blast. I forgot how good this game was, and while I think some look at this game as quote-unquote baby's first RPG, it has a charm about it that I just cannot get over. Even though it's a very simple role-playing game, the overall experience is a perfect blend of RPG mechanics, Mario platforming, and story. I love that I'm playing it again as an adult who understands games like these because back when I played it for the first time as a kid, I played this game all wrong. I would avoid enemies just to move into new areas, and I would be constantly getting killed because I was way underleveled. Somehow, though, I did beat this game, but now as an adult, I am really appreciating the simplicity of grinding a level or two and finding the best pieces of equipment. In full disclosure, Super Mario RPG will be the next episode of the podcast, if not, it will be the one right after that. I want to drop it before the remaster launches and build up some hype around this game. I absolutely adore it, and I think a lot of you out there do too. And then the last game that I've been focusing on is a game that's just been something I've been playing in one-shot bursts here and there. In case you happen to miss the Nintendo Direct presentation on September 14th, a new F-Zero game called f 99 launched and it is free for all Nintendo Online subscribers on the Nintendo Switch. Now, I am not really a racing game fan, but once I gave this game a try, I was immediately hooked. It is a futuristic-style racing game and the presentation is very much like the F-Zero on the Super Nintendo. While it has other game modes, its main premise is that it's a 99-person battle royale-style game. 99 racers are on the same track and you're trying to finish a race as high up in the standings as you can. If you take too much damage or fall too far back in the rankings, you will be removed from the race. From my perspective, it is not an easy game, but I am still having fun slowly ranking up and unlocking new things. I highly recommend this game. But now that I've played f 99, I am genuinely curious about F-Zero as a whole. For those that may not know, racing games in general are typically games that I don't really seek out and play all that often. I have decided, however, that I do want to play F-Zero on my Super Nintendo Classic and see what all the fuss was about. I'm sure I'll drop an episode of the podcast on it, so look for that in the future. If the OG F-Zero is anywhere near as fun as F-Zero 99, the franchise may have another supporter in the ranks. Alright, that's enough rambling from me for one day. It's time we switch gears and get to the reason that you're all here today. It is time to talk about NARC for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Originally released back in... Oh, hold on a second. Dee Dee spies something in the bush over there. Whoa, what is this? A yellow three-tailed fox creature pops out and rambles for a minute before hopping back into the brush and disappearing. Who was that, you might be wondering? Actually, it's my pal Mast Keaton who wanted to drop a comment about NARC in dramatic fashion. He got a hold of me through Discord and wanted to say, When I was little, I rented this for the NES and would play as Player One. When Player One was about to lose his last life, I would grab the second player controller and hit start to join the game. Then I could keep playing. But even with these advanced strats, I could not beat the game. Now we're going to find out when we get into the episode that this game is not an easy one and it's going to take every advantage we have to stay alive and win, but of all the tactics, I never thought to join in as player 2 when all my lives ran out as player 1. That is so simple, it is genius. I did end up beating Narc without this trick though, but I'll explain exactly how I did that a little later. I never did get past the first few levels as a kid, and all I would do is try and chase as high a score as I could before I ran out of lives. That really wasn't the ideal way to play, but I still had a blast. Thank you for writing into the show, Keaton, and thank you for talking a little narc with me over on Discord. It was a really fun conversation. Originally released back in 1988 as an arcade title and later ported over to the Nintendo in 1989, NARC is a run-and-gun shooter that sees players tasked with cleaning up the drug-infested streets using any means necessary. You can either uphold the law by busting the bad guys and bringing them in, or you can exact some good old-fashioned street justice and take the law into your own hands. No matter how we go about this important mission, we must be prepared. Things are going to be tough, but really, the things that need done aren't always easy. So let's gear up, Wildlanders. Put on your oversized motorcycle helmets, grab your handcuffs, and don't forget your rocket launcher, which we'll absolutely need to uphold the law, because someone needs to step up and clean up the corruption in the city streets. The thing is... No one has had the guts, that is, until now. start this one off, I have a question for you. Have you ever recalled playing a video game but you can't quite recall where or when you played it? Maybe it was a game that you played when you were younger at home or at a friend's house. Or maybe it was a game you watched someone else play. It can be kind of irritating trying to remember, right? I bring that up only because NARC is that sort of game for me. You see, for the longest time I could remember playing NARC. Can't tell you where or with who, but somewhere in my youth, I took to the streets and brought some bad guys to justice. I remember the opening level music, the sounds made when collecting items and arresting people, but for the life of me, I can't recall the details of when I played it. Now the reason I bring this up is because I truly think that it takes a special game to really ingrain itself in your mind if you can't even remember when you played it. And while NARC isn't the best game I've ever played, it did make an impression on me both as a kid and again as an adult when I went to replay it after all these years. It contains non-stop action, over-the-top violence for the time, and some adult imagery that was a little lost on me as a kid. Put it all together and you have yourself a pretty interesting time whether you're playing alone or you're playing with a friend. Now, the last time I played NARC before replaying it for the podcast was back when I was young, and I'm thinking I was around 7 or 8 years old. I don't remember much about this game or its development, but as soon as I started researching NARC, I was surprised by what I found. Nothing too earth-shattering or anything, but some of the subject matter was more intense than I remembered, and its development was a little bit more involved than I thought. I also had no idea that this game was originally an arcade game before coming to the Nintendo where I originally played it. I'm very eager to share this game with you, especially since I don't see very many people talking about it and I only found a handful of articles on it. So as is tradition here in the Retro Wildlands, we have to start off by peeling back the layers a bit. I don't normally talk about a game's development, but I wanted to share just a little bit before we get into the meat of the episode. So with that said, let's put NARC under the microscope and see exactly what it is that we're working with. So, what is this game? NARC is a run-and-gun shooter that puts players in control of max force, and if you're playing with a friend, hitman. Together, your job is to take to the streets and do what you can to make progress on the war on drugs. This means moving from area to area and securing it from the bad guys. As narcs, or narcotics agents, it's up to us to bring safety and security back to the streets. We can go about this one of two ways. We can either bring these criminals to justice by arresting them and hauling their asses away, or we can put them down permanently with a bullet forged in the fires of justice. Now, a game like this, I don't think would really raise too many eyebrows nowadays. We live in a world where violent video games are the norm and mature content is everywhere, even if games come with a rating that lets consumers know what it is that they're getting into or what their kids might be getting into. But NARC came out at an interesting time in America. Back in 1988, the United States was on the tail end of its Just Say No anti-drug campaign. Do any of you who are listening remember this? The Just Say No campaign was all over the place from what I remember. We had assemblies in school where presenters would come in and explain to us why drugs were bad, and I remembered the campaign popping up on TV shows and in commercials when I would watch TV. I think eventually its reach made it overseas, but from my perspective as a young kid, all I knew was drugs were bad and everyone from my parents to TV celebrities were telling me as such. So, it was just a matter of time before this campaign or something like it made its way to the video game space. Enter Eugene Jarvis. Jarvis had previously helped design arcade games like Defender and Robotron, and at this point he was looking for his next opportunity. Graphically speaking, Jarvis went down a road that was new to the industry. He wanted to digitize sprites. For those that have played the original Mortal Kombat games, it's a graphical style like that, where the characters were that of actual people, just in a digitized, more photographic form. NARC in the arcades would see the use of this graphical style before Mortal Kombat actually did. Once Jarvis achieved the graphical success that he was looking for, he needed some sort of subject matter behind his new project. Taking notice of the Just Say No campaign, he wanted to create a video game that further pushed this message, and that's where the concept of NARC came from. Plastered all over the arcade cabinet and even within the game itself were the words Just Say No and other callouts to the anti-drug campaign. You can even see those words on the front license plate of the red Porsche that's on the game's title screen. It was a great bit of marketing, all things considered. However, the game for the time was pretty violent. Jarvis wanted to give players a couple ways that they could carry out their mission in the game, either by apprehending the criminals you came across or by mowing them down with gunfire and the occasional high-powered rocket. This sort of violence did not go unnoticed, and parents everywhere were pretty pissed. Little did they know, though, that a little game like Mortal Kombat was coming, but that is for another time. Jarvis and the team behind NARC, however, really stood behind the gameplay as it relates to the anti-drug message that they were trying to push. There's even a section in the game's instruction manual for the Nintendo version where the then-CEO of Acclaim Entertainment told players, quote, NARC takes gamers through the supreme, larger-than-life war on drugs with exciting, colorful characters such as Max Force, who wages justice against a number of sorbid enemies. And although the fast-paced action in NARC is sometimes extreme, it conveys what may often be the harsh realities of the drug environment. Nevertheless, it is a fictitious representation of how the battle against drugs may be won. Playing NARC is one way to express a stand against drugs. The real test, however, is in your actions. So spread the word that doing drugs is no longer cool, and join Acclaim, Max Force, and Just Say No International in working to become the drug-free generation. Now, fun fact before moving on. Do any of you remember that Winners Don't Use Drugs logo that would pop up right before starting a new game back in the day? I think it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Turtles in Time where I noticed it myself. NARC was the first game to ever feature this screen and I thought that was pretty neat. NARC the arcade game would go on to be positively received for the most part. Gameplay was praised and critics appreciated the intense action and the visual spectacle. Some critics weren't too hot on how repetitive the game could get and how ridiculous the game's very thin story was, especially when you got to the end of the game and took on the game's final boss. Not that there's really much of a story overall, but NARC ends with a tough-as-nails final battle against the strangest end boss imaginable, the head of the game's big bad on a hovering platform. Yeah, you cannot get much more random than that. So now that we've gone over a bit of the background surrounding NARC, let's get into the game itself. While I've only ever played the NES port of NARC, I assume the basic premises and experiences I had are pretty universal across the arcade version and other platforms. Since I played the NES version of NARC, that's primarily what I'm speaking to in case I skew a fact or two. Anyhow, let's grab our NES cartridge of NARC, slide it into our Nintendo, and power this baby up. You know, now that I'm looking at it, I always appreciated the box art and logo on the cartridge of this game. It's mainly black with the white letters NARC at the top and it's riddled with bullet holes. On the arcade version of the logo, there's a red splash of blood over top the letters. On the Nintendo version, the red splash is replaced with a yellow one. When I sit back and think about it, the amount of things that Nintendo allowed on this console port astounds me. Changing the red blood to yellow blood is pretty Nintendo by their standards, but some of the things that we're going to touch on make me wonder how they even made it to the NES port in the first place. But anyway, I am getting way ahead of myself. Let's power the game up and check it out. So when we boot the game up, we're met with a title screen. Standing under the NARC logo, we can see our hero Max Force in blue and his partner in crime fighting, Hitman in red, standing in front of the NARC Mobile, a fancy-looking Porsche 911 turbo sports car. The front license plate says, Just Say No, already pressing upon the player the anti-drug themes that we have already covered. It is a pretty badass title screen, and players can figure out pretty quickly what this game is going to be all about. No music plays over the title screen at all, and if you sit here and watch it for a while, absolutely nothing happens. It's up to you to press the start button and get this show on the road. After pressing start, just like in the arcade version of the game, we're shown the dashboard to a device called the NARC 2000 Mobile Scanner Unit. Authorized clearance is required, so we automatically enter the password to proceed. At the beginning of each stage, we're shown an image of the main enemies that we're going to be coming across. On screen right now, we're shown a member of the Das Loft gang. No idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but we're rolling with it. He's a middle-aged man wearing a brown trench coat, and I don't think very much else. Very sleazy looking, you know, the type that doesn't wash his hands after going to the restroom. We use the NARC 2000 console again, and this time we get more detailed information about our objective. A member of the DAS Loft Gang is shown up close on screen and our objective is spelled out under the monitor. We need to investigate the pipeline hideout. Simple and sweet. From here, the screen goes blank for a second, and then we begin our first mission. Driving the Narkmobile, we head down the streets and eventually jump out. From here we're given control and the game is on. The 2D sprite of our character is at the bottom of the screen. While not the most detailed sprite, it is pretty clear our character is armed with two weapons. Our main weapon is the machine gun. Pressing and holding the A button is what's going to fire our machine gun. It will fire in whatever direction that we're facing, but only to our left or to our right. The other weapon that we have is a Rocket Bomb Launcher, or at least that's what the instruction manual calls it. By quickly double-tapping the A button, we can fire a rocket towards our enemies. It'll explode on contact, and if enough enemies are close enough together, we will get one hell of a bang for our buck. Using the directional pad, we can move up, down, left, and right. That's all pretty simple. Now, Speaking of our weapons, there's one important thing I need to mention involving those. We do not have infinite ammunition for our weapons in NARC. At the top left of the screen, we can see a number next to the symbol that represents bullets. While we start with 99, that certainly will not be enough for this mission. And the same goes for our rockets. We only have five to start, but we will need many, many more. How is a fully armored narcotics agent supposed to gear up whilst on the mean streets? Well, by pilfering the corpses of all the drug dealers and scumbags that we kill, that's how. Speaking of, we should probably turn our attention to those mean streets that we're on. As soon as our boots hit the pavement, we have three members of the Das Loft gang making their way towards us. Two from the right of the screen and then one coming up from behind us on the left side of the screen. They don't waste any time because as soon as they appear, they all reach deep inside their brown trench coats and pull out guns. They immediately start to open fire on us and try to put the pressure down. The bullets that'll be flying at us in this game are a little hard to see since they are very small white lines that are about 4 pixels in length. I can guarantee that we'll be struck by a stray bullet or two and not even realize they were coming at us. And while the backgrounds in NARC aren't the worst things to look at, they can sometimes hide incoming bullets just due to their color palette, so we'll need to be as mindful as we can. If we do get struck by a bullet, however, it is not the end of the world just yet. Unlike other run and gun games like Contra, for instance, we have a health meter in NARC and can take a few hits before being brought down. This is a very good thing because it'll be nearly impossible to walk through a level without a scratch, so having health gives us some room to wiggle. At the top of our screen, we can see a blue bar which indicates our health. Once it does run out, we will lose a life. Another thing that we have to be careful of is the fact that we have practically no invincibility frames when taking damage. What I mean is, once we get hit, we can get hit again in quick succession. Usually in most games, if you take damage, your character will flash rapidly and during this time, you won't take any additional damage so you can get yourself out of a potentially bad situation but not in NARC. If you stand in front of a string of bullets, be prepared to absorb all of them into your chest cavity. Anyway, all of that aside, we need to do something about these asshats. Holding the A button down, we unleash the automatic fury of our machine gun. All it takes is a single bullet to bring down one of these goons, so with a few well-timed shots, we clear the streets and get a little of our breathing room back. It doesn't take long for another wave of gangbangers to make their way on screen, though. This is something about NARC that you're going to have to get used to, by the way. Enemies will continually spawn on screen, and they do not let up. You're going to need to avoid them or continually take them out as you move towards the right side of the screen. Let's take out this next wave with another hail of machine gun bullets. This time, as the bodies fall, they leave behind some goodies. One goon drops some extra ammo, and that's something we should grab anytime we see it. To pick up an item, all we need to do is walk over it. In this case, we do, and we have 30 more bullets added to our total. Always keep an eye out for bullets, because if we ever do run out, We can still shoot, but our fire rate will be severely reduced and we will be put at a massive disadvantage. This is an interesting game mechanic that I sometimes like, but also hate. I enjoy the realism, and limited ammo really pushes you to shoot with some precision. But on the other hand, there are so many enemies that'll be coming at you that you're going to run out of ammo at some point, and the pacing of the game will change drastically when this happens. If you do lose a life, though, you will come back with more ammo, but let's try not to get to that point. Looks like there are two more things on the ground that are dearly departed dirtbags left behind. One item is a stack of cash, and the other looks like a little baggie of drug contraband. We can't let drug money and drugs themselves stay on the street. Some other crooked individual will just pick them up and pump them back into the drug-dealing machine, and we cannot have that happen on our watch. Once we grab the cash, and then head on over and grab the contraband, we can see them fly to the upper left-hand side of our screen and add themselves to a total. NARC encourages the player to collect dirty money and contraband from the streets, and the total we accumulate over the course of the level we're in will be tallied up and added to our score when the level is complete, assuming that we survive. These things can really pump up your score, so if you're looking to be a top-rated NARC, you'll do what you can to grab and stack these items whenever you see them. Once we line our pockets with the goods, we continue to press forward. At the top of the screen, we can see where we are in the area that we're in and how close we are to the end. In this area, we just need to keep heading straight to the right. Eventually we'll come to a door with a flashing arrow above it. It seems pretty obvious what we need to do here, so we press up on the directional pad and head inside. We transition into a subway, and the narrow streets are replaced with an even narrower subway platform. We don't have much room to move around here, so we'll need to be quicker on the trigger than normal. Actually, we do have a pretty good alternative if we get enemies that are bunched together. I know what you're thinking, and you are correct. It is time for a well-placed rocket. They can be a little tough to line up, but when they make impact, it is spectacular. Almost on cue, we have a couple of baddies walking towards us from the right side of the screen. All it takes is a double tap of the A button and it is rockets away. As soon as the rocket makes contact, we get to watch as both bad guys literally explode into 8-bit chunks. While it really isn't bloody, per se, we do get to see the pixelated arms, legs, torso, and heads of our victims flail about in the air in a blaze of gory. (laughs) Get it? Gory because of all the body parts? Eh, But seriously, it is a pretty epic visual. I think the sheer impact of it all was lost on me as a kid, but somehow, while Nintendo censored the red blood on the NARC logo, they let fly the idea of body dismemberment. While they're letting pretty much anything on their consoles nowadays, this is almost unheard of back in the late 80s and the early 90s. Visuals aside though, rockets are a viable strategy in our war on drugs, so keep that in your back pocket as we move forward. As we move through the subway, we're introduced to a new type of enemy. It's an enemy that's going to cause us a lot of grief if we're not quick. And watch out, because it is coming at us right now. Some of you narc veterans listening might know what it is that I'm talking about. And that is the Rabid Dogs. This game has ferocious pooches that'll rip us apart if they get too close. The problem here though is that the dogs in this game are low to the ground like most real world dogs are. If we shoot our machine gun at them, our bullets will fly over their heads. We need to get on their level. If we hold the B button down, our character will crouch. If we crouch and fire, we'll be able to take out the crazed canines. But for all of you animal lovers out there, and I am one of you, fear not. While we just found out how violent Nark can be when we exploded the last couple bad guys we came across, dealing with doggos is much more humane. When you take out a doggo in this game, they somehow turn into little doggos and run away scared off-screen. It is almost cute. So speaking of, let's take care of these canine criminals. Crouch down with the B button and let loose the hellfires of war. Awesome. Get out of here, dogs, go on, get! Now we need to make sure that we're prioritizing these pooches any time that we see them. If we let them get too close, they'll start nomming on our legs and drain our health pretty damn quick if we're not careful. Now as we continue to make our way through the subway, we'll come across a red item on the ground and it has the word SAFE on it. These keycard-looking things will get us into locked doors, so as long as we have the right colored card for the right colored door, we can get around wherever we need to go. Most of the time, we'll need these cards to complete a level, so be on the lookout. If you do come across a door and you don't have the right keycard, you either need to backtrack because you missed it, or you'll have to start killing enemies because one of them may drop the card that you're looking for. For now though, let's grab the keycard that we see on the ground and head out. The rest of the level is pretty uneventful, so all we need to do is keep pushing forward and we'll eventually make it to the end. However, there's one more way that we can bring justice to the mean streets, and it doesn't have to involve shooting or blowing up all the bad guys. Sometimes in life, the hardest thing to do is the right thing, and really, we should be trying to apprehend some of these scumbags so we can bring them in. If we move our character atop an enemy, we can bust them. The process takes a good solid second or two of you completely standing still, but when you do this, the bad guy will throw up his hands like he just does not care, and then you can slap the cuffs on him. Good god, that was a terrible joke. I'm probably gonna leave that in and not edit it out, but don't roll your eyes at me please, I know that was terrible, but moving on. So when we arrest a goon, the word busted appears on our prisoner and then he will fly off screen just like we were collecting an item. The amount of criminals that we've apprehended is tallied at the top of the screen, and when we make it to the end of the level alive, this amount will be added to our overall score along with our collected dirty money and contraband. As we exit the level, be sure to apprehend a few criminals. Wonderful, that is damn fine work right there. Damn fine. At the end of each stage, we'll tally up all the cash and contraband that we've seized as well as the number of busted criminals. 1,000 points for each stack of cash, 2,000 for each baggie of drugs, and 5,000 for each busted lowlife. If you're chasing a high score, busting criminals is definitely the way to go, but it can be pretty risky since busting criminals forces you to stand in one place for a short time. Plus, to reap the rewards, you have to survive to the end of the level as well. Personally, I never got too far in this game as a kid like I mentioned, so I would just get near the end of a level and keep engaging bad guys as long as I could before losing all my lives. Then I would exit the stage and cash out everything I collected. It was a pretty cool way to play the game, and I always found myself just chasing as high a score as I could. And speaking of, we did a lot of work in this first stage. Let's dump off our collected evidence and prisoners and reap our own rewards. Nice, not a bad day's work if I do say so myself. As we gain higher and higher scores, we'll be awarded with extra lives. If nothing else, chasing a high score will net us some more lives, and in order to see the game through to the end, we are going to need as many of those as we can get our hands on, believe me. The game continues on after this and sends us right into the next stage. At the start of each stage, we're shown another new bad guy that we're going to have to contend with moving forward. In our next stage, we'll have to look out for a bunch of crazies the game calls Dr. Spike Rush. This tall goon dressed in black will attack us by throwing dirty syringes at us laced with god knows what. Yes, you heard that right, dirty syringes. Each new stage introduces new threats, and from a gameplay standpoint, I always appreciated this. This keeps the enemy variety pretty fresh, and as you get good at dispatching one type of foe, you'll have to keep contending with them as the game adds additional threats. Beyond the syringe-tossing madman that I just described, we'll also encounter Joe Rockhead, a brick shithouse of a guy that can take multiple bullets before being put down. He doesn't attack you with a firearm, but if he does get close to you, he'll wrap his big burly hands around your throat and choke the life out of you. Later you'll be introduced to Kinky Pinky, a crazy clown that will also take a considerable amount of punishment before going down. This crazy psychopath will come after you with a knife and if he gets too close, he will start stabbing you for some pretty massive damage. Now, I'm making an assumption here, but Kinky Pinky may be based on John Wayne Gacy, a serial killer who was active in the late 60s to the late 70s. He used to dress up as a clown, and that got him the name the Killer Clown. Now, there's other enemies that you'll come across in the game, but I'll leave those for you to discover. Oh, and you're probably going to figure this out the hard way, but not every criminal that you come across can be arrested. If you try to walk up to Kinky Pinky, or Joe Rockhead for instance, they'll just stab and or strangle you, respectively. The only way to bring them to justice is with a fury of bullets or a well-timed rocket. So there are nine stages in NARC that you'll need to blast and or arrest your way through. The first stage we went through was a pretty basic level complete with rundown buildings and a subway. Most levels aren't too descript graphically, and they all kind of blend together, honestly. There are a few standout stages, though. The second level has you make your way into a laboratory-type of setting where it's clear that this is where the bad guys are manufacturing the drugs. There's big vats of chemicals, and if you blow them up with rockets, you will rake in some awesome score bonuses. Another stage has you walking the streets and you'll get to see some places like liquor stores and stores that have adult books and movies. The classic XXX symbols will be present as well. It was all a lot more detailed in the arcade version and there were even hookers hanging around this area as well. While the ladies of the night were removed from the NES version of the game, the imagery is still present. It's really nothing too crazy by today's standards when I think of games like Grand Theft Auto, for instance, but back then, if my mother ever saw me play this game and saw that I was walking down a street with adult movies XXX plastered on the background, I'd probably be grounded and have to scrub the floors with my toothbrush as punishment. Regardless, though, this imagery really did a good job of setting up the environment the developers wanted to create. A dark, dirty, and nasty place where drugs and all manner of bad things were taking place. I still don't know why Nintendo let some of this stuff fly, but at the same time, I am glad that they did. Another noteworthy level is one that I absolutely despise, and that is the bridge level. This level starts off well enough. Instead of cruising on scene in the Narc Mobile, you're brought in via helicopter. The bridge itself is pretty wide open so you have a lot of room to maneuver around. If you're looking for that high score, this is a great place to arrest some perps because the size of the stage decreases the chance that you're going to be hit by a stray bullet whilst making your arrest. Now, as you're making your way through the bridge level, you'll probably notice the sheer size of the level as you watch the little indicator at the top of the screen take forever to move from left to right. Have no fear though, as the narc is waiting for us just up ahead. We can jump into the car and drive it, and man does it move fast. We can even use its machine gun to mow down enemies in our way. Or better yet, we could just run their asses over and pick up anything they drop in one fluid motion. This addition is a fantastic way to break up the pacing of the game and changes things up a little bit. But do not get too excited here. All it takes is for us to crash into one object or one landmine that's been placed on the road and you can kiss the Narc goodbye. Just take the first barricade for instance. You have to go to the very bottom of the screen to pass through a gap in order to continue on. Now if you do this successfully, you'll need to hold up on the directional pad almost immediately to move to the top of the screen or else you're going to hit a series of landmines that are waiting for you. If you're anything like me, you're going to hit these landmines and lose your car and then it is a very long walk with nothing going on before you finally get to a point where a few enemies appear. Really, you need to drive the Narkmobile Mobile super slow so you can watch out for hazards, and I think that just defeats the whole purpose and point of including this badass car in this section. The bridge level had everything it needed in order to break up the repetitive nature of this game, but the execution of it was very, very poor here. Speaking of repetitive, if I had one major complaint about NARC, it's that the gameplay can get repetitive pretty quick. While NARC isn't a very long game, it can get pretty stale. The allure of the subject matter and violent gameplay can only go so far. What makes matters worse, this game is hard. Like, really hard. The arcade game was designed to be a tough quarter muncher, and they brought pretty much all of that to the NES port. Now, I'll be completely honest with all of you. I have not been able to beat this game legitimately. I get just past the bridge level, and I lose all of my lives shortly thereafter, every single time. I'm sure my odds would be much better with a friend to play with, but even then. I did end up beating this game before recording this podcast, but that was only because the emulator that I was using allowed me to input an infinite lives cheat that actually worked. If this was an actual arcade experience, I think I would have used up at least three weeks worth of my allowance in order to get to the end. Even despite this, though, I cannot deny how fun NARC can be. It really is fun chasing a high score, and even if you don't make it to the end, it's all about the journey, right? The only other thing that I wanted to bring up before we bring NARC to a close today is the game's soundtrack. If I remember correctly, several tracks from the arcade game made it to the NES, and the tunes actually sound pretty decent. The first level's music is probably the most recognizable, and it does a really good job of setting the game and its themes up. The game really wants you to feel like a badass vigilante that's taking justice into your own hands, and the music really helps with that. I've mentioned it before if you've been around the Wildlands for a while, but I love listening to old video game soundtracks and chiptunes when I'm working, and occasionally some of those tunes from NARC make it onto my playlist. Not every track is a banger, but there's enough here to pull you into the experience. So when you wrap it all up, NARC is a pretty good game all things considered. The gameplay loop of walking through a level, killing and arresting bad guys, and repeating has the potential to get stale the more time you put into it, but you can't deny the allure of chasing a high score and just mindlessly taking out the bad guys as you bring justice to the streets. While I was too young to really appreciate the subject matter and make the connections to America's war on drugs and how the developers tried to fit NARC into all of that, I can see how impactful a game like this would have been back then. While the game really tried to promote the Just Say No campaign in its own way, I can also understand some of the backlash that this game would have received. It wasn't really all that bloody, I don't think, but the idea of taking justice into your own hands like this was surely a point of contention, I'm sure. I can't be certain how positively impactful a game like NARC was when it came to drug prevention, but I'd venture to say it probably didn't make things worse and, well, probably didn't make things all that much better, either. It's an interesting footnote in gaming history, and one that I think everyone should at least try if they have the means especially if they have a pal to play with. NARC is a game that I'll pick up and play every now and then today just to see how high a score I can rack up. There's a certain charm to the whole experience that I can't quite explain. It's not really the subject matter and it's not really the violence. Sometimes I just want to shut my brain off and focus on one singular thing. And in the case of Narc, it's just being a good guy and taking out the bad guys. And with that, we've come to the end of another journey into the gaming wildlands. This has been episode 44 of the Retro Wildlands, NARC for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Thank you all very much for tuning into the show today. I really, really appreciate it. After talking to some of my gaming pals, I've come to the conclusion that NARC is either a game that you've played extensively or it's a game that you've barely ever heard of. While NARC has made a unique mark on gaming history given its subject matter and background, I still find this game to be enjoyable today. If you've never played it before, I think the Nintendo version is a great way to experience it if you ever want to give it a try. It's a tough game, but you might find yourself having a pretty good time with it. If you like the show today and you want to show it or myself some support, please consider subscribing to the Retro Wildlands on your podcasting platform. I'm still only able to create shows whenever I have the opportunity with my busy work and family life, so subscribing to the show is the best way to be notified whenever I drop new episodes. And believe me, my friend, I am not going anywhere, so make sure you subscribe so you're able to take the journey into the wildlands the moment we get the expedition ready to go. Now, if you really like the show and you have a few minutes to spare, I'd really appreciate it if you gave the show a good review if your podcast platform allows you to do so. I put a lot of effort into playing these games, writing a good script, and editing the show into what it is, and if you really like it, I would love for you to let me know. But you are under no obligation to do so, my friend. The fact that you are listening to this show right now is much more than I could ask for. I'm always thankful that you give me some of your time, and I really appreciate it. So, what's coming up next? I mentioned last episode that I'm planning an episode on Super Mario RPG coming up soon. With the remake slash remaster just a few months away, I wanted to replay the original on my Super Nintendo Classic and make a show of it. I'm also going to try something a little different and have a friend of mine come on the show with me, but we can't record until the middle of October, so we have a little bit before I refinish the game and record with him. In the meantime, I have a few games and maybe a top 10 episode idea I'm messing around with, so there will certainly be at least one more episode before Super Mario RPG, I'm pretty sure. You'll just have to stick around and see where we go from here. Maybe one day I'll actually make a schedule of content like some of the other podcasts do, but I can't help but just want to let the wildlands take me where they take me. I appreciate you coming along for the ride with me, and I look forward to seeing you back by the campfire with us in the future. We have so many more stories to tell, and they wouldn't be complete without you. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands.